0: We're here with Andy Squires. Andy, what is up, man? How you doing? Hey,
1: guys. How's it going? It's, uh, it's great to be here. Uh, third time's a charm, I think.
0: Third time is a charm. <laughs> just some internet issues. It's always just that fun, really like long lag in between each person saying something. Yes. Um, always
2: but, bodes well for great conversation. Yeah.
0: Right, uh, right. Well, man, welcome to the podcast. Our community of listeners has been requesting you for a long time. And uh, so we're just excited to have you on. I was looking at your Patreon uh, bio earlier, and um, it it says this: it says that you are creating words and music that expand the aesthetic of the Christian subculture. What do you mean? What do you mean by that? Like, give us just a brief overview of of what you're about, man.
1: Yeah. So let's just start with the problem before we give the answer, right? Like, great if you are a person who has been paying attention at all for maybe the last 20 or 30 years um you you will notice that um uh, there is uh you, you, you know there's a sameness maybe a homogenization going on in or going through american evangelicalism and and i i want to be careful not to bash or critique too too hard because it's it's um, it's sometimes it's just not fair. But I, you know, in order to bring maybe a constructive path forward, we need we do need to talk about um, the things that we're facing and and I, I feel like in culture there's an epidemic, there's a meaning crisis, there's a there, there's just you know, I mean, I'm sure this isn't anything new. Um, but I feel like the same is true within the evangelical church. And Mm. the reason why we have a meaning crisis is because we have such a, uh, small bank of words that are allowable when we talk about God, that, um, that there's nothing unpredictable available to us. Uh, if you walk into your average church you already know what's going to be said. You already know what's going to be sung. You can set your watch by it. I mean, and there's different flavors of that, right? You have your Baptist version, your Presbyterian Reformed version. You got your charismatic version. Um, so, um, I mean, of course, I'm I'm speaking in generalizations here, but uh, the thing that I want to do is I want to... <clears throat> Expand the Christian vocabulary for talking about God, beauty, the meaning of life, um, you know it, it's it's almost like there's such a lack of philosophical undergirding in your average Christian person that when they're confronted by the reality of life in a harder way, typically. <laughs> What happens to that person is they have a meltdown. They they have a meltdown within their faith,
2: hmm.
1: and it's 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 because the framework that they were building everything in their life on is being confronted by a gang of ugly facts, you know, and uh,
2: that's interesting. It's almost like I hear you saying that when people go through a really difficult trial uh they i guess the word we could use is, is deconstruct yeah. and part of the reason they deconstruct is because they don't have a category to describe or to place their experience into and categories are made up of descriptive words and because we only have a certain set of words to describe the christian experience we don't yes. know how to categorize some of our experiences
1: yeah yes and and so that that's actually those are theological issues like for me I, I was raised in, in a charismatic tradition mm-hmm. that, that highly valued um, faith language that was, uh, that, that was more like it was triumphal. A lot of the language was triumphal. It, was, mm-hmm. ex, it was, had to do with exceptionalism. And so what faithfulness looked like was no matter what you were going through, the main project that you were working on was to get your confession, right.
0: Mm. (laughs) So
1: so if bad things Mm -hmm. were happening to you, the thing to say was God is good all the time. Yes. All the time. Right. (laughs) And so these, these like distillations, like God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. I Mm -hmm. mean, those, that, that, I I mean, I think that began in more of the word of faith world, but it it seeped over into kind of like mainline theology, and you hear it everywhere now. And I, I want to be able to ask the question, if somebody says God is good all the time, I want to be able to say, well, is he? Is he good? if he's good, how is he good? Like what, what is the definition of goodness? And, and because, cause in the world that I grew up in goodness, the goodness of God came to people, uh, through blessing through favor, favor was a real big word. Like, mm-hmm. um, and so, <clears throat> so what happens when, Oh, it's the, it's the old, it's the old conundrum. What happens when really bad things happen to really good people? Is is, is that a question of the person's uh, not having enough faith? Or is that a question of that person not saying the right words to appease God? Um, and, you know, so right now in my life, I would refute that I would, I would say, of course, that's, of course, that's not true. Mm. Um, so anyways, so that's a that's a very long and broad conversation, and the way we have that conversation is that well, Eileen, I personally lean on the arts, you know, I want to hear from filmmakers and poets and songwriters and painters and you know and just you know, writers and thinkers and, you know, people that are, are doing good work, doing masterful work. And yeah. So I, I feel called personally to challenge and, and awaken uh, artists who are in the Christian faith to really defy the template that has been given By the, I don't know, the commercial Christian industrial complex, you know, that is so prominent and prevalent within the Christian subculture.
0: Do you think that um, some of that is maybe why? Because your writing um, specifically has really struck a chord with people. What it really seems like, especially over the last couple of years, do you think that it's that perspective that has like struck that chord? Like what made you start going, I'm going to just start writing this stuff, putting it out into the world at the, at the um, pace that you do. And uh, people seem to really be gravitating it. And what I think is great about it is like friends of mine who would be maybe more theologically progressive or maybe theologically conservative. Like they're both, they're both into it and they're both really, uh, resonating with what it is that you're saying, do you feel like maybe some of this perspective is really for kind of this moment in time, or what are your thoughts around that?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question. I'm often misconstrued as a deconstructionist writer, and I I don't feel like I am one. I feel I feel very anchored in, um, um, you know, the orthodox tenets of Christian faith. In fact, probably my work is is um, it's, it's firmly rooted in persuasion, like the art of persuasion. Hmm. And, and, but, but I don't think that I have to be an a, an apologist to be persuasive, right? There's other ways to be persuasive in the world. Yeah. And, and, um, I mean, that's not a dig on apologetics or people that, you know, are working in that field. I'm just not that smart. So I have to go do other things, but I, I, I had a moment of decision that happened to me in 2009 where I went, I went through a traumatic event in my own life, and so I literally stopped caring about what anybody in the church was telling me that I could or could not say. I had a traumatic event that happened in my life that, that actually gave me a boldness that I've, I've actually never recovered from, and now... I just say whatever the hell I want and I really don't <laughs> care what anybody says. So, so to me, that's the best place that an artist can live. And and it's not that I'm, I, I'm not making a case for living disconnected from community or or I'm not saying that I have all discernments and that I'm, you know, that I don't need people in my life to push up against me and challenge the things that I'm, doing or saying but um but i feel like we really have to swing the pendulum toward uh speaking plainly rather than speaking christianese it's hard to do that well and and yeah that's that's another conversation like developing the ability to do that well that's another conversation but for me I just got to a place where, um, I've I've always felt called to be, to have a voice, to be an artist. But it, it, it seemed like for a while there, I was trying to follow the these these evangelical rules of <laughs> engagement.
2: How would you, you know, describe those, Andy? Just so I can really ground myself in
1: yeah what you're saying. Well, I mean, speak speak plainly. (laughs) Yeah, sex, violence, swearing—you know, all all of the seedy corners of of you know human human beings' actual lives. Um, Being able to tell a story that doesn't have a didactic embedded in it, Um, telling telling a story that doesn't resolve at the end. I mean, I mean. I mean, I'm I'm giving you the opposite, but like, like in, I would say like the Christian imagination, you know, you've got to resolve, you've always got to resolve the story. You've always got to tell the redemptive version of whatever story you're telling, hmm. you know, and you've got to, you've got to tell it in the most sterile way, the most family friendly way possible. And, um, you know, and I'm really not making a case for I'm not trying to make a case for becoming people becoming shock jockeys like right you're not talking shock- about being
2: gratuitous for the sake of it
1: no no way right. not at all and in, in fact I mean like one of the things I'm pushing back right now against is like the brene Brown authenticity culture that has like descended upon the world now everybody thinks that like like reading out of their journal makes them a A beat poet, and it doesn't. (laughs) like, You know, it's like, yeah, like doing this well means holding
0: some things back. Man, you're stepping on some toes
2: because Michael loves Brene Brown, bro. Like, (laughs)
0: man, you know, I'm like, I've been rebuked way too many times for like watching her Netflix stuff, and it's. But you know, I mean, I don't even
1: make. I don't even mean to take shots at her because I think the work she's doing is great. But like, all of a sudden, authenticity is like a. It's a word now, right? Mm -hmm, It's. And it's
2: well, I think wait, it's just, it's pregnant with with meaning based upon our our current culture's understanding of what it means to be authentic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was actually, I certainly just, wouldn't see it as biblical.
0: I was just listening to a podcast earlier, and and the guy was like, uh, he's a, a local church pastor, like a teaching pastor, and he was like, pastors, I'm begging you. Your church doesn't want you to be fully authentic. Mm. Stop with yes. the full on like right. authenticity. We yeah. we we yes. want we want to feel like we know you. Yeah. But we're not asking for you to bring your whole selves yes. to everything that you're saying. I yes. thought that was such Which a Which is actually thing.
2: usually a more of a self-serving endeavor than it is anything else. Yeah. Because what I want is to be able to put my full ugly self in front of you and to have you clap for it so that I feel good about putting my full ugly oh, self yeah. in front of you.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I digress. I'm sorry. So sorry. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. Uh, that's really. In. I love what you're saying. This is great. You. You sound like. Um, f- for somebody who uh, wants to give language so that people can understand their experiences and categorize them, it sounds like you yourself are somebody who is hard to categorize, which I enjoy.
1: I this in this past year, I've I've got absolutely crucified by the right and the left. I've I've said it and and I never set out to touch nerves but it's it's been an interesting journey i i had a friend i've got a buddy who who really encouraged me he's he said andy if you're really going to be a writer what you have to do is avoid whatever the flavor of the day is and um i that was just that just set me free because the thing that I see happening is like this there's there's really a lack of depth coming out of out of the church on on the progressive side and on the right leaning side because they're not exploring other options beyond the talking points of whatever political agenda that they're serving And I think if you're really going to be an artist, you kind of have to disconnect yourself Mm. from, you know, both of those sides. And I know that could be controversial and, you know, but anyways, I.
2: Would it be fair to say that you have to seek to be able to say orthodox things in unorthodox ways? I mean, is that a fair way to describe your endeavor?
1: That's a really good, that's real. That's a really good way of putting it. Yeah. I yeah. love that.
2: Which is hard because Orthodox people will struggle with unorthodox packages. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And I don't know if this guy's on your radar and you may want to have him on your podcast at some point. Do, do you guys know Dr. Chris Green? Is he on your radar mm-hmm. at all?
0: No. Not at
2: all.
1: He's He's actually on the pastoral staff now at Sanctuary Church in Tulsa. Mm. Um, but he's he's been a huge influence on me. he's he's really pushed me into the idea that it takes more than systematic theology to really understand who God is. Hmm. And until we let the poets in the room, we're really not going to understand God because the gravest error that we make is that we think we can understand God solely through systematic theology. Mm. And and it's not that systematic theology is unimportant, it's very important. In fact, I think people should you know, in some way be literate in it so that they can you know, if it, it's it's like I don't know, you're not gonna be able to deconstruct anything if you don't have an orthodoxy to right deconstruct in the first place, mm-hmm. you know
0: <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah i've I'm just very interested in um, saying words, well, the apostle Paul said it this way i I can't remember exactly where it is, but uh eyes. I, I think it's it's after I think he I think it's his, after his third heaven experience where he's talking about having seen things that eyes have not seen and ears have not yet heard. Like he he had seen things too wonderful to be able to even comprehend or describe. But I I take that as uh like an invitation. It's almost like we have to have the poets and prophets who can put words in an order that we've never imagined before so that we can see these new glimmers of God that we, that, that haven't even entered our minds yet. And so it's a very prophetic work. It's a very, it's a very hopeful work. It's just not easy to do because it's dangerous and nobody wants to do it.
2: <laughs> what do you think is the dangerous part about it? Cause I'm trying to, uh, and I'm not playing devil, devil's advocate here at all. Um, but I I definitely uh, fit more into the the category of, you know, you're part and parcel theology guy. I like truth, yeah. yada, yada, right? Yeah. But, but I personally don't have very much issue with people who tend to be more poetic, more creative, um, yeah. like to express truths in – Uh, not so common ways. Um, I mean, if we didn't, if David didn't do that, we wouldn't have so much of that language. So not, you know, and even that's a very like, uh, of course someone like me would say that. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm having trouble understanding the danger or the, the pushback. Um yeah
1: so I'll give you an example I don't know how familiar you guys are with my musical catalog but I have a song on the Poet Priest album called Before You God and it's it's a really interesting song it's probably one of the best things I've ever done hmm. but um but I I kind of flip a lot of the parables um in in this particular song so so here's here's what I I wrote this song kind of out of a a grieving of, of feeling like I was living in this flood of friends who had just decided to abandon God, leave God behind. That's mm-hmm. That was the thing. That was like my very first line that I came up with was like, you know that 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 book series from the '90s, the Left Behind series.
0: I just that's thought, Jake's oh. that's Jake's favorite novel ever. i He Last year we did a whole teaching series at our church about Left Behind. Actually. I'm a raging
2: dispensationalist. <laughs>
0: yeah, Sorry. I was going to say I was catching
1: those dispensationalist
0: vibes
2: yeah. <laughs> off you guys.
1: But, but so so in the in the chorus of the song, I I'm the thief in the night. In the chorus of the song, I'm coming back to God like a thief in the night. And I'm saying to him, God, no matter what happens, I'm not gonna leave you behind. And and then there's some other interesting lines like that. So so it's like there's a theologian I love named Robert Capin, who he's an Episcopalian guy, and he's he he's got this cool thing that he does where he's, he's looking for the Christ figure in the different parables. And so like, as an example, you know, he's like, Hey, when you, when you read the, when you read the parable of the good Samaritan, who is the Christ figure in that story? And, you know, nine times out of 10, somebody's going to say, Oh, he's the good Samaritan. You know, Jesus is always doing good things, you know, but in Capon's world, the one left for dead on the side of the road is the Jesus, is the Christ figure in that story, which also makes sense. And it's, it's actually another way of looking at Jesus. Um, and, and so, you know, like, it's, it's like seeing poets give us language to see God through a different lens so that the disconnectedness that people feel from god can actually be overcome and that i mean that's what that's what good artistic work does for me as a consumer mm-hmm. when i'm beholding something beautiful it's closing the gap you know cuz human beings they're, man they're walking through this world and it's like can be lonely you can face you know a lot of different things that Shame, fear, anxiety, like all of these things that make you feel like God is somewhere else, not caring what's actually happening in your life. And I don't know, my view of God has come around to more of a concept of like, it's not that God is all powerful sitting on a throne at a distance far away from what is going on in my life. He's a, he's a person acquainted with my griefs and sorrows, and he's not far away from them. He's actually with me in them all. And so I got to that place by reading good writers.
2: Mm. Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, I as I listen to you expound upon what it is that you mean, parts of me go like, oh, I don't like that. And then parts of me go like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and i'm okay with that you know i think that's that's part of the the experience of trying to arrive at what is true what is beautiful can help us to arrive at what is true um and i think ultimately in my paradigm the beauty has to be subject to the true um so like i would listen to something like uh what was that theologian's name
1: robert Capon.
2: yeah so i would listen to that and my my and this is kind of cool, right? Cause I'm kind of now you uh, I'm your Orthodox guy. Who's uncomfortable by your, <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. by your art, like I would listen to that and go, okay, well, I don't know that we want to press Jesus's parables too firmly to draw meaning out of them that perhaps he wasn't even trying to convey. So I would look at that and go, what was Jesus trying to teach through the parable of the Good Samaritan? And he's answering the question, from if I'm remembering correctly, who, who is my neighbor?
1: Mm. Mm.
2: So I want to look at something in context and go, okay, well, Jesus is being confronted by this scribe or this lawyer who is seeking to justify his own way of living. And so Jesus answers the question with a story, and the point of the story, as all the parables have a point is to answer that question um, now that puts me on uh kind of the more conservative end of theology. Mm. Um, but I wonder if that can still coexist with the art that artists like yourself seek to make and complement one another so that we are not at odds with each other, but rather yeah, I, hopefully one that
1: is the case, yeah, I mean. I mean I think I think that my my uh interpretation of that that parable even works for answering that question you know because I think that the the um you know seeing seeing the Christ figure of that parable in the one lying on the on the on the side of the, the road of the is road. like it's like you know if you want to see Jesus, go look in the eyes of your neighbor. If you want to serve God, it's not just you singing in church on Sunday morning, right? It's it's actually taking care of the person who is beaten up and left for dead on the side of the road. And so, yeah, I think they, I think they, they're just different angles of the same diamond, or you know,
2: mm-hmm. yeah, or at least can be. Uh, I certainly wouldn't say that every facet of what we can imagine in in a story is uh, justifiable, but um, absolutely we need to have listening ears and have discussions like these Mm -hmm. to to try to arrive at holistic pictures. And I think for me too, a a lot of the time it just comes down to what is the net. What do I do with what it is that you're saying? And if Mm. if what I do with it leads me into a a biblical way of living, um, then I. I find it helpful.
1: I mean, uh, yeah, I I think I think I would push back on that though, like a biblical way of living is is um I mean does does all art have to exist? Does all, does all art made by Christians need to be leading people to you know what you've just said? biblical living. I mean, I think, I think I don't go to an art museum with the goal, like, man, I really hope I moved today so that I can live more biblically. I go in there so that I can be moved in my heart and soul. Like I want to see the wonders of creation, you know, that have come through the hands of these other people. And I think, I mean, for I would
2: a, uh, I would call that being biblical. <laughs>
1: okay, that's great. That's, yeah,
2: but I understand. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, but I understand your point. But I think too, it's a category issue, right? Like when art oh. isn't trying to be theology, then art can be art. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, maybe that's that's uh, too rigid of a statement. But uh, I'm just tr- I'm trying to uncover why people have issues with um, uh, with any of this stuff. Uh, and you have to excuse me, I'm kind of. Just thinking out loud in the moment, but
1: no, it's great. I, I love think it.
2: a lot of it just has to do with what we put forward. Things as being, um, mm. if I put if I put forward my sermon as art, and my sermon is like this, it happens to be very black and white and very you know truth telling or whatever. It's not really art. It's 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 making theological claims, and so just let it be that. Um, sure, but if sure. I put forward my art as uh, a theological masterpiece, um, then sure, you're going to have pushback. But if it's art, it, art is interpreting experience, right? Like that's the point of art or a point. Um,
1: yeah. I think that could definitely be a point. Yeah. I, I would say though that I have definitely heard sermons that were absolute works of art.
2: Totally. I'm not saying that uh, I'm not yeah. making a generalization about sermons in general. I'm saying yeah. this, let's say yeah. a specific one. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I don't know. Michael, what do you think?
0: About all of this, or what's the next topic? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Whatever you want. Um, man. I mean, I my initial thought is I've heard I I'm like listening to what both of you guys are saying, and I get to be the person in the middle who agrees with both of it. Um, because I do. I I, I like I hear both sides of it, and I think like it's interesting because I'm I'm very much like seeing it through the the context of a, a local church pastor, right? And even going like, yeah, I've heard sermons that, and in the past have preached sermons that with the intention of making it feel or be like a piece of art, mm-hmm. but that probably did not have the theological intentions that I wanted them to have. You know, so my whole like, and this is just my initial thinking right of that is like sermon as art. I get and believe in, but mm-hmm. my Current 2022 local church pastor goes, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a second. Maybe mm-hmm. part of our problem is that we've been wanting sermons to be art, right? And that's kind of gotten us to a lot of where we are at right now with some of the the um, things that we're seeing and experiencing in culture in terms of people walking away mm-hmm. from, from, yeah, because- Christ. So when someone walks away from Christ, based upon some kind of a difficult experience or whatever that might be, um, what is it that's causing them? to do that. Does, right. that. does that make sense? It and I, totally I, sense. I, I think it's very much both. And like yeah, it is both. I'm, and you know. like,
2: you can use art to give people the language. Um, and then I would also say that you can uh, use theology to give people the language as well. Um, which is why what you're initially saying, like, so resonated with me in terms of I want to give offer up new words to help mm-hmm. people have categories for what mm-hmm. they're experiencing. Um, and I think we're all going to have different bents on how to do that. Uh, your bent might be more artistic. My bent might be like, oh, look what the Bible says about this. Um, mm-hmm. But we're aiming for the same in, endeavor. Mm-hmm.
0: Totally. How did Andy, I'd love to know how you, because you just sort of came out of a, a long, I don't want to use the word stint, but a long period of time as a local church pastor. Like you are a, mm-hmm. a local church pastor. Actually, part of what I loved m- most about that whole conversation that you had with Paul and, and that crew was your just love for the local church is so apparent and so obvious, yeah. but at the same time, you are not afraid to critique it. Um, yes. How have you navigated, like, the thought of being uh, sort of this artistic writer, thinker, musician, as well as, like, local church pastor and having to weave all of that together, to me, sounds very, very overwhelming and difficult to, to do. How did you um, walk that? Line like how did that work itself out in in the way you pastored and taught and all of that?
1: Yeah, it, it's it's actually been interesting. I I do think with two different sides of my brain, when I'm writing songs or when I'm writing essays, I do have more leeway in the things that I'll say uh, compared to what I'll say from my pulpit. Um, and hmm. but I would but I will say that I. I'm probably looser in the pulpit than the majority of pastors that are preaching right now in America. I, I mean, I don't say that as a with a as a feather in my cap. I'm just saying, I don't really. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't. How have I navigated through that? I think I I don't belong to, uh, gosh systems of power are are tough to navigate like like if you're part of the sbc right now you're you're rooted in a culture that is relatively old in an american point of view and it's not like you're gonna go in there and like be a wild and crazy guy and just Mm -hmm. change the culture of the SBC overnight because Mm -hmm. you say outrageous things from the pulpit. Right. Um, I don't, I don't belong to a denomination like that. So the little church that I've been a part of for the last seven years is like a non-affiliated charismatic church. And, uh, there's huge problems with that. Um, you know, that type of government, but the benefits are that you're not, you're not having to answer to a massive structural culture. Mm -hmm. And so you get to, you get to be more experimental, you get to try things out. And I, and I actually think that is why, you know, there's probably A lot of independent churches in America, Mm -hmm. because, like, Mm. you know, biblical truth is—it's up for grabs. It's been up for grabs since the Reformation, man. I mean, you know, the only thing that Protestants have been good at is dividing. You know,
2: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if it's the only thing we've been good at.
1: (laughs) No, I know. I, I jest, but. (laughs) (laughs)
0: so okay you you did a post recently that i man um like weirdly like made me leap for joy and love and like pissed me off all at the exact same time in (laughs) in like the best kind of way and all i could do was hear dc talks history maker Playing mm. in my head over and over and over.
2: I thought that was delirious.
0: That's what I said. What did I say? DC, DC talk. Yes, you're right. It was delirious. Sorry, sorry. Come on, Michael. Get DC your evangelical sorry, history right. But that was the that was the subculture that I got saved in, and so that history yeah. maker song. So you wrote this post, and I just want to read the first few lines of it because I like man, I've read it a lot, and I I actually love it so much. You said, "Here's the prophetic word for you." you are not special. (laughs) You are a regular person with a job and a daily life. You are not a history maker. You have a destiny, but it's a regular one. You will never be a household name. You are not a revolution. You will not hold the line. Uh, You won't win the argument. You won't be in the ministry, but if you find some day that you are, don't count on being successful and and on and on and on. And you sort of go all the way down and um, you just say like, embrace the dryness of your heart, embrace your lack of words, embrace the lack of ecstasy and revelation, go to the movies, go fishing, get some work done, have some kids. Uh, man, that was like, where did that come from? And, um, I don't know. Talk more about, about that because that, that post floored me in the best kind of way.
1: Yeah. Uh, do you guys remember John Piper's passion? Uh, message. I think it was 1999 or 2000. The "Don't Waste Your Life" message. Do you guys know that one? No, I've sir. I've
0: heard people reference it, but yeah, um...
1: it's, it's like it's like a cultural touch point for a lot of evangelicals. But um, it's so one thing that I've witnessed as a pastor is the huge number of Christian young people that heard some youth pastor or pastor well-meaning tell kids that the only viable path to pleasing God was to do something big for God, to go into the ministry, (laughs) to Mm. do some kind of thing like that. Mm -hmm. And so like between YWAM, the passion conferences acquire, acquire the, fire, the fire yeah all of these and, and and it's like you can't even blame the new apostolic reformation folks for this cuz it's everywhere i mean john piper's reformed it's it's like across the board mm-hmm. um but i saw so many young people spin out in their lives because they got some dumb prophetic word <laughs> that they were going to do amazing things for god And then they woke up and they were 28, and Mm. they were working at the local cell phone store selling mobile phones, and they thought that God had done them wrong. Mm. Mm. So, like, there's a whole lot of disappointment that people are carrying. Unnecessarily, but they're carrying it because they got the wrong idea about life and the way that God does things and the way that God moves. And, you know, um, and, and then the other thing that I think about all the time, I think about an old Vietnamese man who's squatting on the side of a dusty road in a village in the middle of a jungle somewhere and nobody anywhere knows his name and nobody will ever know his name. And why would God care about some American kid being a history maker and not care about that old squatting Vietnamese man in the middle of an anonymous jungle somewhere? So I I, I think about that all the time. It's like either the kingdom of God has a place for everybody and, and like the real mission for all of us is to like descend into an obscurity, but Americans can't imagine that because they're completely inundated with the Kardashians and then (laughs) all of the Christian celebrities on top of that. So, you know, the Ed Youngs and Stephen Furtick's of the world are, are confusing Entire generations of people about what faithfulness looks like, and when you look at jesus, he's like man his his ascent to glory was a descent into nothingness and i'm I'm trying to figure out where where along the theological conversation did we lose our way and think that the path of God or to God into the kingdom had had to do with us doing great things for God. I mean, I don't know if I'm making any sense right now, but that's why I try to tell people like, hey, it's okay if you get married, you can barely pay your bills. You go to church at a regular church where they serve potluck on one Sunday a month and your kids go to Sunday school and the praise band is no good. And... (laughs) um, and you're and the the pastor isn't a poet and he just preaches exegetically or systematically through the gospels or whatever it's like welcome to life like welcome to actual life it's a gift you know god occasionally moves miraculously god occasionally moves by the power of his spirit and does extraordinary things i I'm not a cessationist. I don't deny that he does extraordinary things. But, but the bulk of my life has been like failure, bankruptcy, the mundane, like just trying to make sense of my everyday life. And so I can't remember where that scripture is in Thessalonians, but it's something like Mind your own business, work with your hands, Mm -hmm. try to live a quiet life. It's like, no, I never heard that from anybody growing up.
0: Mm -hmm. I love that scripture. Mm -hmm.
1: If you're you're a kid and you're in a church and you're mildly talented, like you can talk in front of people or you can play acoustic guitar, guess who's going to get really excited? The older people in your church, and they're Mm going to tell you that you have a great destiny for God. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, maybe, but maybe not.
0: Yeah, but is is it maybe? And I, I so identify with everything that you're saying, because that was my, I mean, you're literally talking about my childhood of getting saved and in youth group. And I mean, that was, you are telling my story to a T in so many ways. And I've actually very much struggled in certain portions of my 20s and early 30s with that exact same thing. Like, God, when are you going to come through with the thing you said you were going to come through with? And it was always in my mind a very uh, external picture of what that was supposed to look like, right? So I can see how um, that led to a lot of disenchantment. It led to a lot of hurt and frustration, not just with God, but also with the church and and all the above. And gosh, I shudder to think, the things that I probably said as a youth pastor. Um, that being said though, how do we, how do we, because doing great things for God isn't bad and wanting to do great things for God isn't bad. Um, is it more the idea that we feel like God owes us some sort of like guaranteed outcome, guaranteed outcome or practical result, right? Like that's the big thing I've been talking about. and We talk about this a lot is like in this conversation around the Big Christian celebrity mega church thing. I think it's really easy to assume these people that are in that position wanted that and fought for it. And I'm sure some of them did, but some of them, that's just where God's put them. And so, how do we like help people understand that it's a lot more complicated than just mm-hmm. it's either build a big mega ministry or
2: be unsuccessful. Be
0: unsuccessful. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like, what's the, what's the bouncer? That's something I'm literally trying to figure out as a, a local church pastor who finds myself often just trying to counsel and pastor people through that. Just live a basic life. Just have a job and just pay your bills and love your wife and kids. And, but also balance that with like, if God, if you feel like God's putting something, put something in your heart. Well, I think a big key to it. Happen, I
2: think know? a big key to it is desire. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Desire and motive. Yeah. Well, Desire just in the sense of what do you want? Yes. Um, Yes. And a lot of times we're we're so divorced from our desire because we think our desires are um, solely misleading and evil. Mm -hmm. Um, But actually desire can be a good indicator of what you ought to do. Absolutely. Uh, And so if you don't desire to do what might be considered great for God, then don't. But if you have a desire to go out and... Build a business or like have a influential church, whatever it is, set out to do it. God's still not going to guarantee you some kind of outcome, right? That's right. And you're going to yeah. get formed along the way in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think
1: here's the, here's where things get confusing. So in my Instagram feed, I got an ad that said, "Are you ready for the worst, the best, the greatest worship experience of your life?" And, and it was an ad for-
2: Yes, a- yes, I'm ready. Yes, please.
1: Tell me, tell
0: me where to go. Finally,
1: finally. And so this is, at least in my tradition, the charismatic tradition, this is where we really messed people up. So rather than telling the church, hey, we like, we like loud music and we like lighting and we like beautiful people who have good voices leading our worship. instead of being instead of plainly saying that
2: oh that's what you mean by speaking plainly
1: yeah yeah (laughs) we 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 do all that and then we go this is the presence of god right like Mm -hmm. like i like in it's like wait hey no no so is the opposite of that not the presence of god like That to me is, I mean, back to answering your question, Mike, about, um, I I think you said like, God doesn't owe us certain outcomes. Uh, and, and I, I would also say that we have to be careful to assess the landscape. When we're assessing the landscape, when we, when we look to see what God is doing A lot of times, where we look is where there happens to be a lot of activity where talented people are doing things. So, I would say we probably shouldn't only focus on where beautiful, talented people are standing on stages singing or talking about God. God is doing much more than that. Yep. And so, I would try to frame for young people that yes, God does want to speak to you in your life. He wants to work through you in your life, but you're not a you're not a disappointment. And it's not disappointing mm-hmm. if you don't end up on the stage mm-hmm. under the lights mm-hmm. doing the greatest worship experience of your life. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really good, man. I I Mm. think what you're describing is a symptom of our culture at large, not just evangelicalism. Amen. Amen. Um, And it ties into our obsession with being an individual. Yeah. And what it means to be an individual now is for our authentic selves to be liked, commented on, celebrated by hundreds and thousands of people. Yeah. Um and so that has seeped into the uh Christianity in the West. Yeah. Um and it's something that we are all unfortunately participating in. Mm. Uh and I don't know that I know the way out except to say that I think your advice is uh about I can't remember verbatim what Michael read, but essentially live a normal life marry have children maybe buy a home raise your kids yeah do do fun things with them take them to church and and do yes. participate in what i would uh what i would say is um a quite conservative a life that is quite uh characterized by conservative values and yes. i don't mean that in a political sense except to say that I kind of do also <laughs> like, yeah. don't, don't be obsessed with the, um, uh, the, uh, the, like the expressive individualism of, of our age and just oh, yeah. have a family and love them and have gr- great friends and love them and mm-hmm. be ordinary.
1: And, and if you have 49 Instagram followers, then you are blessed by God. Cause that is, <laughs> that that's a blessing. Yeah, you know it it really is i i'll tell you amy and i my wife amy and i we've been married for 28 years and like this new season that we're in where there's a little bit of a draw on us right now to like you know go out do shows speak whatever and we've we have um that that draw comes on you and and you realize really quickly what a curse fame actually is. Like mm. it's it's a terrible, lonely place. Not that I'm I'm not I'm not famous. I'm just saying like there's been an increase on the draw of my life personally. And what that's done for me is actually caused me to crave for obscurity. And I don't mm-hmm. really know how to. Um manage through this i'm I'm really asking the spirit to help me because i want to I want to remain. I mean, I drive a two thousand and one Honda accord, and you know it's like the check engine light's always on, and <laughs> you know there's a tarp on my roof right now and um and and it's like i I see those as... Being gifts from the Lord to me, it's like, I don't know. I, I don't know what I'm trying to say right now. I just, I feel like I want to encourage Christians to join the Holy Spirit in the life of the Spirit. And that may take you to a little place. You know, mm-hmm. it may take you to a place where the economic forces of the world. You know, I, I said this in that post that you read earlier, but like, hey, man, we're, we're, we're sometimes forced to migrate. That's, that's just, that's, that's called being a human on planet Earth, you know? Mm. And, I, and I think the religious tradition that I grew up in taught me that if you were really in the flow of the Spirit, or if you were really in favor with God that that the hardships of life would they would miss you they would like fly over your shoulder and hit the next guy behind you you know and um you know obviously i've realized that that's not true and i think i've i've met enough people who have spun out in their faith because that was their beginning point they thought mm-hmm. of they thought of their relationship with christ as being so transactional, it was like, it was like, you scratch my back, I'll scratch mm-hmm. yours. And I don't know, man, I've got, I've got a new bumper sticker sticker that I, I want to put on my car, but it, it's, it's, it's just this dreams don't come true. People die. Christ is King. Like that is like, that's <laughs> my life. That's my life motto.
2: Oh God. We need to get you a new life motto. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Man, this is, yeah, that's, but I feel, I feel joyful.
1: Like I I don't feel in my heart. I don't feel sad. I feel very joyful because I think there's a freedom that comes to a person when they, when it's like, Oh yeah, this is reality. Reality's mm -hmm. hard and, and God is present with me in all Mm -hmm. of this,
2: Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, I love that. I think to me the the answer is somewhere in uh maybe don't have a life motto at all. Yeah. Um ex- yeah. except except the Christ is king part. Yeah. Um and so it's something more like whether I am abased or I am abounding.
1: Amen. Right? Amen.
2: And yes. God's God's gonna do things apart from your permission. Um, yeah. and then God's also gonna answer your prayers. Uh yes. and sometimes the answer will be yes, sometimes the answer will be no. And yes. through all of it, Christ is still the king. Um, and to me, that's kind of like, I don't know, maybe that's uh, trying to make it too clean. But uh, in reality, no, what I'm trying good. to say is that sometimes life is going to be really messy. And then sometimes yeah. life is going to be like freaking awesome. Mm-hmm. That's, um, that's
1: exactly right.
2: In the measurable mm-hmm. ways, but through all of it, uh, it's, it's the Christ is king thing that you're, you're spot on about.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Everything else is false advertising. Isn't
1: isn't that so good? Like maybe we should just, I like, if I was to, if I was to relay anything to your listeners, that is the thing that I would want people to know is that like, I, I think in all of my experimentation through art and words or, or whatever, just like looking for the Lord in these different places, um, it is truly a joy to discover um, submitting your life to the Lord, like Mm -hmm. submitting your life under the Lordship of Jesus is actually the greatest relief that a human being can experience. And um, I think that's why I'm actually grieved by the amount of deconstruction that's going on because, you know, I always, I always tell this to people. It's like, you know, there really is a relief that that comes when people walk away from God and then they just like wake up one day and they there's no there's no restraint like they mm-hmm. can just do whatever they want because they're mm-hmm. not living unto the Lord anymore. It's like there there really is a relief that they experience mm-hmm. initially.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But gosh, it never lasts very long and the thing that I see people over and over just getting Chewed up and spit out by the thing that they ultimately gave themselves to, like the God they ended up leaving mm-hmm. Christ for.
2: Mm-hmm. It is, can only lead to nihilism.
1: It, it truly, mm-hmm. truly,
2: it is the only logical landing pad. Yeah, and so you either get good with it, and you be a nihilist, and you, would yeah. you be an honest one, or you be a really <laughs> dishonest one and pretend That's like you're right. happy.
1: <laughs> that's exactly right
0: oh man uh, Andy this has been amazing man thank you for uh, thanks for joining us today well, really, forgive, really appreciate forgive
1: it forgive me yeah. if I lacked coherence at any point I, I've i had a you know it's been a hard week so
2: <laughs> well thank you for making the time
0: in the oh, midst of a hard no, week it was great yeah thank you
1: you guys are amazing this has been super fun
0: yeah it's so been fun. fun thanks yeah. a lot man have a uh, good rest of the day
1: hey You as well. Talk to you guys later. Bye, man. Bye, Eddie. Bye. Later.